This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good late afternoon, or shall I say good evening, dear listeners. You're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday the 5th of February, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is the elastic band method in decolonizing the curriculum. Welcome! This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening, fellow educators and dear listeners. This is my 29th radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. But first, I have to introduce myself for any potential new listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have lived in the UK since 2008, and I'm a professional educator. I work in a secondary state school in North London, where I teach languages as well as humanities, geography, history, French and Spanish. I also have experience as a teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on social media on Twitter at ProfProfMFL. All views are my own. Today I want to focus on a topic that is extremely important to me as a human being, as an educator and as a parent. And this informs mostly most of my lesson planning and my daily working life. The podcast will be on the topic of the elastic band method in decolonizing the curriculum. This is mostly relevant to language teachers in the English speaking world and beyond to people who are interested in eradicating racism, to French speakers and French teachers and Francophiles, and the curious and savvy. So once more, you can interact with me via the chat function, or if you prefer using Twitter, at ProfProfMFL. So first I have to say that I've been working on decolonizing the curriculum for two years. Oh, I would say three now because we're in 2023, aren't we? And um, I've been invited over the weekend to speak at a conference, the Linguoscope Conference, which happened in Shoreditch in London on Saturday, the 4th of February. I was invited. I wasn't the only speaker. There was uh, Hannah White who talked about how to successfully support EAL pupils, so children who have English as an additional language. There was Sharon Barnes who um, wanted to talk about being inclusive in a multicultural school. She's a professional secondary school teacher in Bristol. There was Sadie Thompson who was talking about checking your privilege and bridging the gap for a more inclusive classroom. And finally myself um, talking about a method I have developed, the elastic band method, which is focusing on introducing positive role models in language teaching. 
So, it wasn't the first time I presented um, with the Linguiscope company. I have done webinars before on the Huguenots when I talked about diversity and migration. I did a um, webinar on decolonizing the curriculum back in the first lockdown in July 2020. I did a few show and tell webinars about linguistic activities and um, now I've done the elastic band method. So this is what we're going to focus on today. But first I need to develop the concept of decolonizing the curriculum because you might not all be familiar with this concept. Decolonizing the curriculum means that we need to look at the society we live in, the world we live in, and we need to see if we have some assumptions are biased in the way we see the world. We need to question the impact of our history. And when I mean history, I mean slavery, I mean colonization, and I mean decolonization. We need to question its impact on our economy, our urbanistic societies, and our cultural representations. And once we have noticed that the society we live in is not fully decolonized, we need to try and decolonize it. And to do so, we need to make sure that we teach our children to not have these biases and these assumptions. And we need to do so by giving them a curriculum that is decolonized. So we need to look at our pedagogy and how we teach. And finally, we also need to promote people who are obviously from ethnic minorities. So in English, we call them the BAME. Um, and we have many, many different acronyms, but it's people who are usually not white and yet live in a majority of countries where being white and Caucasian is the majority. This is quite important to talk about decolonizing. And I think the concept is getting traction in the media and it's having a very positive impact. I just heard the news today that the Trevelyan family, which is um, a very old wealthy family that owned Wallington, which was a country estate in Northumberland. They had owned the country estate for 150 years before they donated it to the National Trust in the 1940s. Now, the heirs of the Trevelyan family discovered by looking back and by having that first step in the decolonizing process, by having a, a look back at their family fortune and their family history, and they realized that their family had owned a thousand African slaves on the island of Grenada in the 19th century. So their country estate, Wallington in Northumberland, was built by the money they made in the slave trade and in slave labor. Obviously, this is not an easy truth to face when you realize that your ancestors did horrible things, but the Trevelyan had um, the honesty to talk about it amongst themselves and they came to that decision and um, Laura Trevelyan had an interview with a BBC reporter and she said, and I'm quoting, that she wanted her family to apologize to the people of Grenada for their role 
for the role that their ancestors played in enslaving and enslavement on the island, and they are engaging as a family in reparations. So the family, the Trevelyan family, is intending on donating a hundred thousand pounds to establish a community fund to develop economical activities in Grenada. Um, Laura Trevelyan also said that their family received the equivalent of about three million pounds in compensation when slavery was abolished. So the state of the United Kingdom state gave them money because they didn't have slaves anymore when slavery was abolished. So they got that money in 1834. And um, so giving a hundred thousand pounds nowadays, 200 years later, seems like quite a token, token, token gesture, but I think it's the, the first step in the right direction. And she says she wants this money to be used and she also said she was hoping it would become an example that other rich families would follow. Miss uh, Trevelyan lives in America. She has written a story about her family. And um, yes, she said it was really hard to come to terms with, with what her family had done. She had um, studied and she felt really ashamed of seeing the plantations where the slaves were punished and the instruments of torture that were used against them. I think she's being very honest and I applaud her for that and I love the fact that she's trying to repair the damage that was done many 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 decades ago by her family and um, we all know that people nowadays are still living off the fortunes that were made in the past and it's good to acknowledge it. And it's definitely a positive step. And I think it's happened and it's happening because we've been talking about decolonizing. Because Laura Trevelyan has realized that the privileges she's living with come from a very difficult past and we can't ignore it any longer. So who penned the term decolonizing? Well, first it was a political thing after the colonization. So in the 1960s, when African countries started to become independent from Western nations, they started to be decolonized. But how, did it, how does it transfer from a political state sort of setting to a human um, endeavor? Well, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing the name, but there is a very famous Kenyan writer Ungugi Vachongo, who was born in uh, on the 5th of January 1938 in Kamerithu in Kenya, and he's very famous as a novelist, an essayist, and he also teaches English and comparative literature at um, the University of California, Irvine. And he has written an essay in the 80s entitled Decolonizing the Mind. So if you want to have a look at his essay, it's called Ngugi Vationgo's essay on decolonizing the mind, the politics of language in African literature. Ngugi Vationgo also wrote a book that I recommend, I recommend people reading. It's called Wrestling with the Devil, a prison memoir. He wrote it when he was um, incarcerated by a dictator, a Kenyan dictator, for being a writer, basically, because he was a free man and a writer. He got put in jail 
and he found toilet paper he could write on so that he could write his new novel. And for the first time, he had written in his native language because he started becoming famous in Kenya for writing in English. But when he was in jail, and he was really angry because he was put in jail by a compatriot, a dictator who was an African man. So he just thought, why am I writing in English, which is the language of the colonial power? And he started in prison to write in his native Gikuyu language. And this decision has changed the way he wrote novels following this and the way he perceived his role as a writer. There's a great interview of um, Gugi Vachongo in the Times of India. Um, I'm just going to quote some very interesting sentences that he wrote. So he said he started using his mother tongue, Gikuyu, because he was really upset that an African government put him in prison because he had written a play in, um, in his native language. And he thought even more about language and colonialism once he was in prison. And he realized that he had to, to change, he had to decolonize his mind, to decolonize his language. There's a quote I really love, and I think um, I'm going to put it on the poster in my classroom, actually. Um, and I'm going to quote now. Gugi Vationgo says, If you know all the languages of the world and you don't know your mother tongue, that is enslavement. But if you know your mother tongue and add all the languages of the world to it, that is empowerment. So Ngugi Vachango is confronting two ideas, the idea of being enslaved morally or conceptually and empowered. And for him, being able to speak English only would be enslavement because this is not his, his country's language, even though it's an official language there. But speaking Gikuyu and English and being able to write in both gives him the power he needs to be a free man. So I think it's really important. It was written almost 40 years ago, this uh, Decolonizing the Mind essay. And yet today I was on Twitter and I noticed there was a lady who said her mum asked her to speak Somali on the phone with her. And the, the daughter was a bit upset. She was like, why do you want me to speak Somali? It, it feels wrong. It feels, it feels, I feel uncomfortable speaking Somali. I don't know the language so well, etc., etc." And I was just thinking, this is exactly what Ngugi Vationgo is talking about. You need to master your mother tongue because you need to use it. It's your heritage. It's a part of you. And if you only speak English and if you ignore your mother tongue, you're losing a part of yourself. You need to be empowered. And if your mom wants you to speak in Somali with her, you should honor that as a part of respect for who you are and also for the love and nurture that your mom gives you because she uses her tongue, her mother tongue as well, to nurture you and educate you. Languages and cultures are not equal. And this is also something Gugi was, Watyongo was saying in his article. Languages and cultures relate as a network and they are in a hierarchy of unequal power. English, French, Spanish and Mandarin 
are the languages of the colonizer. And you could also argue that Russian is the language of the colonizer. And then the local indigenous languages. So it could be Breton in France or um, Patois, or it could be Ukrainian in uh, Ukraine, or it could be Irish or Gaelic um, in the United Kingdom or Welsh. These languages have had a really tough time and there, there has been many efforts to eradicate them. Our job is to value these languages and give them a chance to fight back on an equal footing with the main colonizing languages. And I think it's a very important thing to think about. There is a hierarchy in economics, but also in languages. So how does this apply to my own experience as a language teacher? Well, I am very much aware that French is the language I'm teaching and French is the language of the colonizer. Because remember, France was one of the biggest empire, colonial empire, as well as Portugal, Spain, and England. And now I could argue that Russia is also a, colon a colonial empire, and a colonial empire that is still trying to colonize other people's countries. So I'm teaching French, which is the language of the colonizer. And I have to face difficult conversation because I have students from Morocco or from Algeria and Tunisia. And some of my Algerian students are really, really reluctant to learn French, even though they speak it at home sometimes with their family. They see French as a language that was imposed and that represents a time when their country was subjugated and disrespected. So, I'm coming with my lessons on hobbies and, and holidays and French cuisine, and I need to acknowledge that pain because it's still really raw and it's still sore. And we do not yet in France face our colonial past enough. We don't teach the Algerian wars of independence and we do not elect representatives who are from ethnic minorities. I'll give you the example of Christiane Taubira, who wanted to, to try and nominate, to be nominated for the French presidential election, and she didn't get enough signatures from mayors because she is, let's be honest, a black woman. So we have to face that difficult colonial past in France, and we're not doing so well. Now, in England, I see that we're further in the process. First, you've had prime ministers who are from ethnic minorities. We haven't had that in France. We um, haven't had a female president as well either. So I would say that England is more advanced in its conversation with its, within itself and within its past. But now, how do I present a lesson that is inclusive for my students who have been victims of France's colonial past. Well, I try my best by using a decolonized curriculum. And this method I'm going to develop in your company today, which is the, elast the elastic band method. But I started in 2020 on that journey. I decolonized my worldview and my practices. What I learned at school and at high school and at university was very politically influenced. It was 
presented as the norm, and yet it was definitely a political choice. My worldview always put on a pedestal, white, middle-aged, middle-class, educated men coming from Europe. And this excluded ex extreme numbers of women and also many, many people from ethnic minorities. So in order to decolonize my worldview, I started looking into feminist uh, history, as history of women, history of ideas, and history of female writers. And it took a long time to challenge all these assumptions. Now, I am very wary of how we do a decolonized curriculum, because I do not think we should um, just abandon all that knowledge that was obviously provided by white middle-class middle-aged men. I think we need to know that knowledge, we need to, to just keep it as our own, make it our own, but we shouldn't stop there. And this is where the image of the elastic band is useful, because when you pull at an elastic band it stretches and then it can really almost double inside. So this is incise. This is what I really want to do with my students. I want to stretch their minds, add more elasticity to their thinking, and I want them to know all their, the, the useful knowledge they need to be citizens in this world. They need to be educated, they need to be able to gather, to understand the society they live in, and for that they need to know history, and the history of culture, and they need to know about what happened in the past in order to effect change in the future. This is a debate which has culture at its center. This is basically culture with a big C, the accepted one, the one that's promoted at university, the one that is usually elitist, um, that imposes itself as the correct taste to have. It is usually European-centric, it is exclusive and very often can be seen as snob and narrow-minded. This big C culture needs to be learned by our students. I want my students to have heard of Charles Dickens and Victor Hugo and Dostoevsky and um, many, many more writers, because this is the cornerstone of many, many um, concepts that we still use on a daily basis. But I also want the cultures with a smaller C to be on an equal footing in a curriculum. So it's culture with a big C that we stretch so that it gathers and includes cultures. We have to stretch our knowledge so that it becomes universal and inclusive. So I have developed a lesson plan and I'll give you an example. I wanted my students to learn what's in the French curriculum for French children in primary school, which is uh, Le Carnaval des Animaux by Camille Saint-Saëns, The Carnival of Animals by Camille Saint-Saëns. He was a French composer and a French pianist and a French teacher, a music teacher. And this is part of the curriculum in France for French children. And I wanted my students in the UK to have access to that knowledge. And I know they do music at school as well. So it's always good to step out of your subject and add other subjects to the mix. So we are studying this Cam uh, Camille Saint-Saëns music. But I also want them to know about other people 
who might have very different profile and background and yet have a very deep connection with Saint-Saëns music. And I'm thinking of Anna Pavlova, and you might know of her because she was a Russian ballerina. But I don't want to stay there with these very, I mean, respected um, artists. I want to also include people who are still alive nowadays and are still working and are still being artistic. So I want to introduce Yo-Yo Ma to my students, Yo-Yo Ma being a Chinese, French, American cellist who is still um, an amazing artist playing all over the world. And these three characters, Camille Saint-Saëns, French composer, Anna Pavlova, ballerina from Russia, and Yo-Yo Ma, who is now based mostly in America, they all have a very common point, is that they've worked on Camille's music. So they, are all, they all know each other's work, even though they did not live in the same century. And to really extend and use my elastic band method idea, this analogy, I've introduced my students to Charles Lil Buck Riley. So he's more famous as Lil Buck. And Lil Buck, you can check him on YouTube. It's spelled Lil, L-I-L, and then Buck, B-U-C-K. Lil Buck is an African-American, um, I'd say he's in his 20s or 30s. I, th I think he's just turning 30 soon. So Charles Lil Buck is a Jukin artist. Jukin, J-O-O-K-I-N, is a type of dance. And if you have never seen it, please, at the end of this show, go on YouTube and type uh, Lil Buck and Yo-Yo Ma, and you will see some amazing cello playing and some amazing Jukin dancing. So these four people are very different. If you saw pictures of them, um, obviously one is uh, a black African-American, one is Chinese, one was Russian, and one was French. So very different looks, very different life histories, and very different backgrounds. And yet they're all extremely passionate artists. So I did a whole lesson planning, including all the things I have to cover to justify my work. I did the numbers, the dates, the birthdays. I did a physical appearance description. I did job, you know, the feminine and masculine of jobs and professions. I made my students work on it and different ending for adjectives. You know, the whole shebang if you want to teach French in a very dogmatic and curriculum focused way. But I also wanted my students to see the connection between these humans. Yes, you can teach a lot of linguistics. You can teach antonyms, verbs and tenses, gender with the feminine and masculine endings. You can teach time markers with adverbs such as in the old times, um, tomorrow, nowadays. You can do all that with these very interesting people. But you can also stretch it so that we reach universal knowledge. You can ask your students to do a collage where they select different illustrations. So a, a collage for Anna Pavlova would represent, of course, uh, her swan costume. She's the, the lady who invented the swan choreography. Um, uh, her ballerina shoes. She had a very arched foot and she's the one who introduced these instrument of torture devices that our ballerina 
um, points. And you could add the meringue pavlova pudding, which was named in our honor by an Australian uh, cook or chef. So you could ask your students to do a collage as homework. And I guess for the Yoyoma collage, it would be um, a musical score, um, French, American and Chinese flag, a cello, and maybe a plane, because Yoyoma is always traveling around the world to play in many different locations. Now, if you ask your students to do a collage for Lil Buck, that would be a bit different. There would be an American flag. There would be maybe the flag of the state of Illinois. There might be trainers, because I know he, he wears a lot of trainers. And very colorful urban street style of clothing. And a collage about Camille Saint-Saëns would have the statue, um, the Eiffel Tower, for sure, because he was a Parisian. There would be maybe um, the opera, Opéra Garnier, because he he, he played, um, he had his music played, and um, maybe a picture of his house, a picture of a piano, and himself. So you could do lots of visual work with your students about these artists, but then you can extend and use the elastic band method to ask your students what do they have in common, these artists? Because they're from different nations, they're, they have different skin color, they are different gender, and yet art, beauty, music, discipline, excellence, traveling, and globalization puts them in a, in a common ground. They are artists who work in search of beauty. So, as I said, if you want to deal with culture with a big C and cultures and maybe indigenous cultures or street urban cultures, you can use these wonderful artists because from a middle-aged, middle-class, white, French male composer, you reach a white Russian ballerina, a female dancer and then you go to a Chinese American classical cellist all the way to an African American Jukin dancer from Illinois and these people have worked together even if some are dead and some are still alive they have worked on the same music so I would sincerely advise you to go on YouTube whenever you can and watch um, Yo-Yo Ma, Lil Buck the swan song and then maybe the swan song with Lil Buck and uh, another Russian ballerina and then you can see how we can reach out how we can expand our knowledge and share it by having that elastic band method used in lesson planning and maybe you can take some time now to go on YouTube and check that lovely, beautiful song. And then we can go back after the news. But in the meantime, let's hear the news. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. 
This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. At the National Higher Education Conference, Unison Assistant General Secretary John Richards opened proceedings with a damning critique of the government's approach towards university education, according to Unison's own website. Mr Richards focused on out-of-touch ministers who failed to understand the current funding crisis and pointed out that the funding models across the UK seem to be broken. He cited the issue of limited government funding as causing a de facto cap on student numbers and accused the government of trashing the UK's reputation for higher education in Europe, leading to big drops in the numbers of overseas students a story covered by Teachers Talk Radio News last week. Mr Richards went on to assert that those in government do not understand the cost of living crisis because they've never had to face it. Strike action by those working in the HE sector has been part of a wave of action taken by unions across a range of public sectors in recent weeks. The last week saw the release of details of government plans to revamp children's social care in England. BBC News reported on the plan for more early support for families and the extra £200 million funding for the next two years. Last year, a review warned that tens of thousands more children could end up in care without additional funding and reform. The plan has faced criticism that many of the changes are being rolled out as localised pilots rather than a national programme. The government plans to put families at the heart of the reform and intends to provide better support for all vulnerable children in order to reduce the need for crisis intervention. There will be pilots in 12 local authorities which will deliver more early support for families struggling with addiction, domestic abuse and poor mental health. There will also be more family type placement for children in care with relatives, friends or foster families. Other changes include plans to recruit more foster carers, a simpler process and more support for relatives or friends who take on children, a rise in the leaving care allowance and support for councils to recruit and retain more social workers. Economic Constitutional and Social Policy Forum Politea has published an article focusing on its views of the proposed changes to the school's history curriculum. The publication History, Whose History? The Battle for the School Curriculum features three historians' views on the proposals. The government's plan for reform came in response to recommendations from the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities. The plan for a new model history curriculum for pupils to see themselves as integral parts of what makes up the UK today was proposed. The essays included in the publication focus in on the responses of a variety of academics who all appear to conclude that there is no need for the proposed changes because diversity is already built in the current programme. Further details of the publication and forum for debate can be found on the Politea website. Finally, a school principal in a rural part of Northern Ireland has expressed concerns over safety after it emerged that recruitment of lollipop men and women is being frozen. It comes as part of a drive to save money. The current power sharing deadlock in Stormont meant no budget could be agreed and significant cuts needed to be made. The principal of a rural primary school, Donna Winters, told the BBC that until recently there had been consistent crossing patrol staff that have been vital in making sure pupils can cross roads safely, but that they have not had staff since December. 
the school has had to resort to employing a patrol staff member directly and, when they are absent, teaching and support staff have to fill in. Ms Winters went on to point out that safety was not an area where cuts should be made. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's Safer Internet Week, with the official day being on the 7th of February. This year, the UK Safer Internet Centre focuses on Want to Talk About It, making space for conversation online. They've got loads of educational resources on the website saferinternet.org.uk, banded into 3 to 7, 7 to 11, 11 to 14, and 14 to 18 years of age. They are even translated into Welsh and have adapted resources for SEND and ALD. So, they have pretty much covered all bases. You need to take a look. But why do we need to get our young people talking about this? Well, let me try and give you an idea in one breath. <gasps> With an estimated 5.16 billion people using the internet at 64.4% of the world's population, it's estimated that around 500,000 predators pose a threat to young people daily, with the main target being 12 15 15-year-old children. With a quick search of statistics from the internet, I found supposedly 1 in 25 children will be manipulated in some way this year, and 80% of predatory behaviour will be through social media. This couple with only 15% of parents actually knowing what their children are doing online makes this an issue which definitely needs to be talked about with our young people. <sighs> To get some perspective on this, every 60 seconds, TikTok users watch over 167 million videos. Data never sleeps. We need to know how to stay safe because the sheer volume of data means it cannot effectively be policed. Please send your thoughts amongst the 575,000 other posts every 60 seconds on Twitter at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. All right, I hope you enjoyed the news and uh, you might have had the chance to look at that video of Yo-Yo Ma and Lil Buck for this one, Dance. It's an amazing video and it shows how art can be seen as something a bit old-fashioned and uh, um, something that just doesn't really appeal to the younger generation and then comes along another dancer Lil Buck with his new style Jukin and then a song just comes to life in a different way I think this is this is what we are here for as humans working uh, together working as teams uh, discovering new ways of having creative moments and also just going in search for beauty so this is what I do with my elastic band method. I try to go from what's classically accepted to other ways of doing cultural things or other pieces of knowledge. It establishes a solid general knowledge. I want my students to be aware of classical history or classical music, forms of art and paintings and sculptures. I want to encourage and nurture an enthusiasm for learning, but also want to expose them to various art forms. And I want to expand their vision of the world so that they understand that not just what's accepted in museum or what's promoted at university is valuable, but even local art produced in their community is just as important. So what is the next step for educators and parents? Um, who are we going to introduce to our children and our students if we want to decolonize their mind and the society we live in? 
Well, we do need to find role models. And this is a very difficult thing to do because role models are human beings. And human beings' behavior is rather unpredictable. Most role models are seen as people engaged in positive and constructive actions. And what they do can be something that we transfer to our own life and that we admire. So what is a positive role model for students? Well, we usually agree that it has to be a positive role model who makes healthy lifestyle choices, a positive role model who shows respect to others, even in challenging situations. And also many adults have several interests and it's important for role models to be curious and sometimes show that you don't have to focus on just one aspect of life. You can have many, many things you're interested in. So diversity of choice. And fourthly, a good role model is someone who will encourage children to be more respectful, to exercise more, to be healthy, to be thoughtful and to care more. So it will encourage students and children to provide support and partnership with others. Now, is it possible to find a role model who fits these four big criteria? Hmm, it is difficult. And remember, some role models of our times would be considered as mostly toxic now. So it is really hard to find a perfect role model. The role models I use in my elastic band methods, lesson planning, are very different from these. And they do not fit there's requirements. They're not always making healthy lifestyle choices. They're not always showing respect to others. They might be quite obsessed in, in one field and uh, disregard other aspects of life. And my role models might not so much encourage children to exercise or be active, but they might encourage them to fight against a system. So, why would I select these role models? And would that be a good thing for my students? You might be entitled to say and ask. And yes, you're right. So I'm going to talk about the role models I want to teach to my students. My role models are selected because they tried their best. And very often they had difficult circumstances, or I should even say terrible circumstances of life. The role models I choose to present to my students were really passionate people and sometimes a bit laser focused on just what they believed was their passion or their duty. And I think this is what makes them special. My role models are usually people who challenge authority, question the established way and question the norms and sometimes reject them very strongly. And my role models are also people to take big risks and also make sometimes some very big mistakes. Because I want to show my students that being human is about learning and we do make mistakes along the way. And sometimes we make very bad mistakes that we regret, but we learn from these mistakes. So what is my pedagog pedagogical intent if I want to um, inspire my students with these role models. 
Well, I want them first to know about these people because I think they are historical figures that deserve fame. And I also want my students to do what's best for them and for who they are and not just what society expects them to be. I also want my students to understand the concept of failure because failure is a teaching tool. We do not become good at something without failing at it a few times. Failure is a part of a positive learning process. And here I want to share some resources that everybody should maybe read if they have the time or just browse through. There's a few books. There's The Gift of Failure, How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed by Jessica Lahey. There is another book called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success, How We Can Learn to Fulfill Our Potential by Carol S. Dweck. And finally, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance by Angela Duckworth. And you see, I, I went for a very feminist uh, bibliography today with Jessica Lahey, Carol S. Dweck and Angela Duckworth because they deal with the concept of failure. And I think we need to teach our children how to fail well. And how do you fail well? Well, by first acknowledging that you failed, accepting that you did, and then learning from that mistake, and possibly not doing it again. <laughs> because very often people do not accept blame or they reject it onto others and blame others. Or they say, oh, mistakes were made, but they won't be made again. And then they do the same mistake again. So I think we really need to work on teaching how to fail because it's part of how we learn and we can always do better. Now, my decolonizing the curriculum idea comes from a deep-seated desire to improve the classroom, to make it more diverse and more inclusive. I would like to attain that diversity and that inclusivity via a revolutionization of codes and morals. I also strive at questioning the orthodoxy. I think we should always question institutions. What is their purpose? How do they operate? Are they transparent in how they proceed? And are they serving the interest of the people? Unless you can answer positively to these four aspects of an institution, maybe we shouldn't trust these institutions. I also want to attain diversity and inclusivity by embracing differences, celebrating them and respecting them. I also want to attain diversity and inclusivity by being able to make mistakes. Too often, particularly on social media, some people are vilified when they say something that some other people find offensive. If you don't make mistakes, you can't learn. You might say something that is deemed incorrect, but then you need to be told why it is incorrect and you need to be given the time and the space to realize it. Scapegoating people, having hate campaigns against people is counterproductive and it's not inclusive and it's not a universal endeavor we should follow. 
I would like to attain diversity and inclusivity in my classrooms by allowing my students to be themselves and to be unique. We don't have to follow the same rules. We don't have to be in the same mold. Some people are going to end up at university. Some people might not. Some people might start working after their GCSEs, and that's fine, as long as they're true to who they are and they are content with the decisions they make and they're allowed to make their own mistakes as well. I would also like to attain diversity and inclusivity by collaborating with people and not competing against them. I know it's a very Western concept, competition. This is the cornerstone of the capitalistic system we live in, and I have lots of difficulties agreeing with it. I think we do not achieve our best when we compete with one another. I think we achieve our best when we collaborate, when we all bring our little stone to the building in order to build the building together. So you're going to be saying, so what are your role models that you bring to the students in your classroom? Well, they might not be very famous. So I'm going to quote a few of them. And my aim after a few years in that job would be that everybody would know who they are. So for the French speakers, I would like all the students to know who Solitude is. Solitude was born, we think, in 1772, and she died in 1802. Solitude was a slave, an African-American slave in the West Indies, and she rebelled against the French army, and she, she led a rebellion and an uprising. And for, to punish her, Solitude was imprisoned, she was pregnant, so she was giving a respite time until she gave birth. And the day after she gave birth, she was hanged. Solitude was a woman who took arms against the French institutions, such as the army. And she was brave and she risked her life for her freedom. I think she she's a hell of a kick-ass heroine and we should have a film made about her. My other positive role model is Josephine Baker, who is more famous. She was a political, um, cultural figure. She was a spy for the Allies against the Nazis. And she was also the first African-American international pop star. She was born in 1921 and died in 1975. Then there is Christiane Taubira. Christiane Taubira is a French Guyanese politician. She's a female politician and she is um, someone who has always tried to be an advocate for people who are living in Guyana and who don't always get the same rights as people who live in France. And she is someone who tried to be nominated for the presidential elections, but didn't get enough mayor votes to do so. Then there is another very famous black African figure, Leopold Sedar Senghor, who was um, the first Senegalese president after decolonization. He was born in 1906 and died in 2001. He was married to a French lady, so they had a biracial couple uh, marriage. Then there is 
Eric Tabarly, who was a French sailor, and he married a woman from the West Indies, a black woman, and they had a child together. And sadly, he passed at sea, like sadly most sailors do. He was born in 1931 and died in 1998. And then, as finally, for the Spanish speakers, Rigoberta Menchu, who is an activist, and she was born in 1959. She's still working to protect the rights of native indigenous people in South America. Everybody knows Omar Sy, he's a very successful um, Senegalese French actor and he's living in the United States. And then also someone who doesn't need an introduction, Strome, the Belgium singer. So all these role models are the people I want to promote in my classroom. Because too often, what I see in resources that I'm offered to use is a focus on Paris, on the bias about France, the elegance, the fashion, the love capital, the chic, and je ne sais quoi about the French culture. And too often, we focus on the beauty of architecture. We have the La Tour Eiffel, the Chateau de Versailles, La Pyramide du Louvre, and we forget that France was an empire and France was a colonial empire. And we focus on the glamorous side and we ignore the gritty, dark, tragic side of French history. So when I do a lesson on linguistics for my students in case three, aged from 11 to 14, I want them to think about French history and that it leads to a reflection on colonization. I think it is really important for French uh, students, so the ones who study French, to know that Louis XIV was obviously the Sun King. He was very famous and very rich and he loved taxing his people in order to buy to build beautiful palaces, but he's also someone who had the Black Code written, which is a list of rules that a slave owner has to follow and a list of punishments that a slave owner is allowed to use against slaves. It's not just a glamorous Louis XIV man with all his mistresses that we should talk about or that we should make films about. We should show the dark side. And if you teach colonial France history, French history, you will end up talking about these beautiful sandy beaches in the West Indies and the beautiful colonial architecture there. But you have to talk about the boats that brought the slaves from Africa to the West Indies. And you will end up talking about the, the black African people who rebelled, such as solitude and the, the, the tragic fate that awaited them. It was an extremely violent time and it was, it was felt in the flesh of the people who were enslaved. It is important to teach words for students to be able to express their feelings and their opinions on this side of French history. I want my students to be able to use other terms, not just magnifique, merveilleux, fantastique. I want them to be able to say dégradant, injuste, criminel, inhumain, effroyable. I want them to be able to express their rage at the history that we are teaching them. The 25th of March is the International Day commemorating victims of slavery. 
And I think it's about time this becomes a very important date in the school calendar, where we acknowledge the suffering of millions of people. And can I just remind you that it's not just African, African people were enslaved, and there are still many, many slaves, maybe even more now in numbers than during the height of the triangular um, economic system uh, at the height of the African slave slavery times. I think French teachers should celebrate la mulatresse solitude, this rebel who organized the resistance and fought the French army. But it's also important to, to know about Claire, who uh, was born in 1700 and died in 1752, and who was a free woman. She ran away from the plantation in Guyane and started living as a free um, free woman. And the way she was treated when she was caught is that she was assassinated. It's important to teach about these female role models, these female rebels who did not accept the fate that society gave them. I want my students to know about these women and to know and describe them as courageous, independent, brave, intelligent, and sometimes also violent, but free. I also think if we use the elastic band method in decolonizing the curriculum, we need to make sure that our students have all the cards in their games. Too often, I see very difficult concepts taught to students who are still not yet equipped with basic skills. We talk to them about literature, we ask them to analyze texts, and yet they are still struggling with reading out loud. We talk to students about GDP and geography and economics and growth and development, and yet we don't teach them the names of all the countries and the capitals. It feels like we are not doing the ground work, the working on the foundation before we start piling up the levels of building. So whenever I teach something about someone in French lessons, I always show where they're from on a map. Children need to visualize distances and localization because too often their vision of the world is just reduced to the area they live in. Not many students can afford to travel. They do not even visit some places in their city. We as teachers need to expand, extend their knowledge of the world. And this is an important thing to do with maps and geography. I want students to be able to realize that there is 7,000 kilometers separating Paris and La Guyane. And yet decisions made in Paris by the King Louis XIV had an impact on the flesh and the bones and the blood and the bodies of women who lived in Guyane, 7,000 kilometers away. Same thing between Paris and Guadeloupe. It's 6,400 kilometers. If you're interested in learning more about La Mulatresse Solitude and the uprising against the French state, there was a novel written in 1972 by a man called André Schwarzbart and he dedicated the novel to solitude. There is also a comic book that you could ask your librarian to purchase for your school. If you want to have a male role model who has 
start an uprising against the French army, you have Louis Delgré. He was an officer and in the French army. He was a black man. And when Napoleon re-established slavery after the French Revolution, Louis Delgré was outraged. So he gathered his men and he fought against the French army. Sadly, he didn't have enough men and they ended up committing suicide. It was a mass suicide in, um, in a house in Matuba where they, they had lost their fight. Louis Delgré and his 300 companions died in 1802, fighting against slavery and Napoleon when he re-established it. It is very important to celebrate people who stand for their rights, who fight back and protest, because too often we see an attack on freedom and civil rights at the moment. We tell people striking is rude, Striking is is destroying the, the economy. Striking is something bad. Well, no, rebelling and protesting is good when you're trying to be who you are and when you're defending your principles. So in order to have an inclusive lesson, when you are given the topic of the holidays, you can also include these very important nuggets of knowledge you can talk about seas and ocean and means of modes of transport and climate and environment, but you can also mention colonization and economy. It's good to not be stuck with the cliches of French society. The students have to learn about them, of course, but you need to extend their knowledge. You always need to reach out and teach them that little bit of extra that will bring more thinking and more critical thinking into their mind. It is very important as a, as a teacher that we give them the means to go further in their knowledge. And this is why I really like talking about Eric Tabarly and Jacqueline, his wife, because they had a mixed marriage and they are a great uh, couple to, to study if you want to talk about holidays and hobbies because you bring the idea of inclusion and um, racial equality. Now, there's another fam famous role model I used in my class and it worked really well, so I wanted to share it with you. I have quite a few Senegalese students and um, they don't know their Senegalese history much because what they're taught when they live here in England is English history. And we ignore the history of many African countries. Now, Senegal was a French colony and they had their independence in the 60s. And Leopold Sandar Senghor was the first elected president of Senegal after the colonization. He was an intellectual, he was a very well-spoken man and he was a poet and he was married to a white French woman another biracial wedding. So Leopold Sedar Senghor was born in 1906 in Senegal and he died in 2001 at Verzon in France. He was um, a poet, a writer and a French statesman and Senegalese president. He is the symbol of the cooperation between France and its former colonies. And he's been criticized because people think he didn't push decolonizing enough. 
I think we shouldn't judge people with the knowledge we have now. They had different life experiences. I think he's still a great role model. And remember, your role models are humans. So they, I'm sure, have made many mistakes, but yet we know their true value. There's a beautiful poem that he wrote, and I'm going to read it to you today. It's in French, so if you haven't learned French at school, um, you might just feel the melodic side of the language. Cher Frère Blanc, Quand je suis née, j'étais noire. Quand j'ai grandi, j'étais noire. Quand je suis au soleil, je suis noire. Quand je suis malade, je suis noire. Quand je mourrai, je serai noire. Tandis que toi, homme blanc, quand tu es né, tu étais rose. Quand tu as grandi, tu étais blanc. Quand tu vas au soleil, tu es rouge. Quand tu as froid, tu es bleu. Et quand tu as peur, tu es vert. Quand tu es malade, tu es jaune. Quand tu mourras, tu seras gris. Alors de nous deux, qui est l'homme de couleur And that's a wonderful poem. It's very evocative and it has very simple vocabulary. Even if you barely remember your GCSE French, you recognize the colors. Noir, rose, blanc, rouge, bleu, vert, jaune, gris. You might have recognized some adjectives such as froid um, and also some tenses. Je suis, I am. Tu vas, you go. So let me translate it for you now. Dear white brother, when I was born, I was black. When I grew up, I was black. When I go under the sun, I am black. When I'm sick, I'm black. When I'll die, I'll be black. Where's you, white man? When you're born, you're pink. When you grew up, you're white. When you go under the sun, you're red. When you're cold, you're blue. When you're scared, you're green. When you're sick, you're yellow. When you'll die, you'll be gray. So, of the two of us, who is the man of color? Isn't that wonderful? It's almost childlike in its repetitiveness. Quand je suis, quand j'ai grandi, there's when, 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 when repeated a lot. And yet, I think it's appealing to the idea of time. When are we going to stop looking at skin color? And when are we going to be just one human being? It's a wonderful poem. I read it and I studied it with my year 11. Um, there was one student who was Senegalese and she told me I had never heard of him. And I think it's a tragedy that we all know about Martin Luther King, but we don't know about Leopold Sandar Senghor, whereas our students are Senegalese and it's just sad that we only focus on some role models and we forget there's so many more. So what's next? Well, after decolonizing my lesson planning, I also look around my space and I try to decolonize my classroom. But first, I think we're going to have a little breather and listen to the news. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. 
Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. At the National Higher Education Conference, Unison Assistant General Secretary John Richards opened proceedings with a damning critique of the government's approach towards university education, according to Unison's own website. Mr Richards focused on out-of-touch ministers who failed to understand the current funding crisis and pointed out that the funding models across the UK seem to be broken. He cited the issue of limited government funding as causing a de facto cap on student numbers and accused the government of trashing the UK's reputation for higher education in Europe, leading to big drops in the numbers of overseas students. A story covered by Teachers Talk Radio News last week. Mr Richards went on to assert that those in government do not understand the cost of living crisis because they've never had to face it. Strike action by those working in the HE sector has been part of a wave of action taken by unions across a range of public sectors in recent weeks. The last week saw the release of details of government plans to revamp children's social care in England. BBC News reported on the plan for more early support for families and the extra £200 million funding for the next two years. Last year, a review warned that tens of thousands more children could end up in care without additional funding and reform. The plan has faced criticism that many of the changes are being rolled out as localised pilots rather than a national programme. The government plans to put families at the heart of the reform and intends to provide better support for all vulnerable children in order to reduce the need for crisis intervention. There will be pilots in 12 local authorities which will deliver more early support for families struggling with addiction, domestic abuse and poor mental health. There will also be more family type placement for children in care with relatives, friends or foster families. Other changes include plans to recruit more foster carers, a simpler process and more support for relatives or friends who take on children, a rise in the leaving care allowance, and support for councils to recruit and retain more social workers. Economic, Constitutional and Social Policy Forum Politeer has published an article focusing on its views of the proposed changes to the school's history curriculum. The publication History, Whose History? The Battle for the School Curriculum features three historians' views on the proposals. The government's plan for reform came in response to recommendations from the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities. The plan for a new model history curriculum for pupils to see themselves as integral parts of what makes up the UK today was proposed. The essays included in the publication focus in on the responses of a variety of academics who all appear to conclude that there is no need for the proposed changes because diversity is already built in the current programme. Further details of the publication and forum for debate can be found on the policy website. Finally, a school principal in a rural part of Northern Ireland has expressed concerns over safety after it emerged that recruitment of lollipop men and women is being frozen. It comes as part of a drive to save money. The current power sharing deadlock in Stormont meant no budget could be agreed and significant cuts needed to be made. 
The principal of a rural primary school, Donna Winters, told the BBC that until recently there had been consistent crossing patrol staff that have been vital in making sure pupils can cross roads safely, but that they have not had staff since December. The school has had to resort to employing a patrol staff member directly and, when they are absent, teaching and support staff have to fill in. Ms Winters went on to point out that safety was not an area where cuts should be made. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. And we're back after the news. So, as I was saying earlier, in order to decolonize our lesson planning, we can use that elastic band method I developed. But it doesn't stop there. We need to decolonize our space. So what can you do? And yes, we can all do our share. Well, it's going to happen very soon. There's the International Day of Languages in February. So please ask your students to bring their favorite recipe. There is um, a great book called The Immigrant Cookbook. You could ask each child who has um, a family member from another country, or if you don't have a big um, EAL community, English as an additional language community, because you live in an area that's quite white British, for instance, you could ask each child to bring their favorite recipe. They write the recipe in very simple English, and then they take a picture of them having cooked or having baked their favorite dish. You compile it in the little cookbook, and then you can either sell it um, via the school or try to fundraise in order to promote the recipes. So it's ideally better if everyone can have a recipe from a different country, but it doesn't matter. It's the intention that counts. You just need a very simple template with your school logo, name of the child, the country the dish is from, maybe the flag, a picture of them having baked it, the list of ingredients, utensils, and then a very quick description as well as the cooking time added. If you want to involve other families who have different languages, you can ask them to record themselves reading their favorite book. Obviously a small child storybook. It could be Handa's Surprise, which I know is translated in many, many languages from Mandarin to Hebrew. Um, you could also choose a baby owl in different languages. Ask the children to record themselves or their family members reading the story in a foreign language. And you can use Vocaroo, V-O-C-A-R-O-O, and use all the MP3s you collect that way to do a big listening file. And then you put it on the school website. If you want to organize a summer fair, maybe more for primary school, warn the parents in advance so that they can get organized. One country per stall. For a French one, I expect some macarons, crepes, uh, maybe some baguettes, maybe some galette des rois with some French flags. And maybe you could have one for French West Indies, like Guadeloupe. You might want to have one for Senegal. And you might go as far as selling traditional toys or fabrics. But this needs to be started as a project now so that it can happen in the summer, in June or July. If you're inspired by the listening project on BBC Radio 4 with Fee Glover, you can ask children to interview their grandparents or their auntie or their 
great uncle, ask them a few questions. Uh, where are you from? Um, what was your childhood like? What was your favorite food in your childhood? And what was your favorite book in your childhood? How did you come about to live in this town? Did you migrate? And just publish the collection of life stories on the school website. This is to promote language diversity. You could invite a speaker, maybe you want to contact embassies. If you have a big community from Pakistan or from uh, the Caribbean, maybe contact the embassy and try and get a speaker or an artist to come and talk to the students during assembly. There is a wonderful website that I advise any teacher in languages, particularly with French, because this is what I do most days. It's Eleanor Chettle-Cully. Chettle is spelled C-H-E-T-T-L-E and Cully, C-U-L-L-Y. Eleanor Chettle-Cully has a big section on decolonizing teaching art. It's um, her website, myprimarylanguagesclassroom.com. And she is amazing. So I'm going to quote her. In terms of decolonizing the curriculum, I believe that it is essential. We ensure pupils are exposed to lesser known artists from countries other than France. So while Key Stage 1 focused on the likes of Claude Monet and Henri Rousseau, Key Stage 2 used their partnerships with francophone countries as a springboard for the study of artists from Guadeloupe, Réunion Island, Rwanda and Senegal. This is a great opportunity for pupils to learn more about their focus countries early on in the school year. And Eleanor Chattel Cully is so amazing. She asked Anaïs Verspon, who is a Guadeloupean artist, to contact her via Zoom and talk to the students. And the students had done artwork inspired by Anaïs Verspon's work. That's wonderful use of technology and promoting diversity and decolonizing. So she started with Claude Monet the epitome of French painting, and she extended the elastic band all the way to Guadeloupe. This is exactly what the elastic band method is about, and this is a beautiful example. If you're lucky enough to have students who are from a wealthy background, maybe you work in a private school or in a wealthy area, consider a decolonized school trip. Don't take your students to Paris, take them to other countries that have French as an official language. Bina, Burkina Faso, Burundi, Cameroon, Comores, Ivory Coast, Djibouti, Gabon, Guinea, Conakry, Equatorial Guinea, Madagascar, Mali, Niger, um, you can take them to Senegal, the Seychelles, Chad, Togo, or Rwanda, and also countries where French is used a lot, Algeria, Morocco, Mauritius, Mauritania, and Tunisia. These are beautiful countries, and they will speak French there. So, there was a lot of resources I used to prepare this Elastic Band Method presentation. Can I just remind you, Ngugi Vationgo's Decolonizing the Mind is the one who gave its name to the process of detangling ourselves from this European, Eurocentric vision of the world. There is also Lilian Thuram, White Thinking Behind the Mask of Racial Identity. Léopold Sandar Senghor, La Negritude. Uh, Paula Anna 
Kaona, Solitude la flamboyante. Um, this is about the mulatresse solitude, the lady who organized a rebellion against the French army. And finally, Christine Taubira, L'esclavage raconté à ma fille, Slavery explained to my daughter by Christine Taubira. These are essential books to read about decolonizing our mind, our classroom, and our mindset. I hope you found this interesting, inclusive, and thought-provoking. It is always a delight to present my work um, with you lovely listeners, and I wish you a wonderful evening and a glorious week. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.